In a world where the line between pleasure and destruction is blurred, a new threat emerges from beyond the stars. Oh my God! Oh my God! Aliens, hell bent on the annihilation of humanity. They're back. When they stuck that probe up your ass, it caused a telepathic link between you and the aliens. What do you mean? Come with us now. The world needs you. To do what? We need you to bang, and bang as hard as you've ever banged before. All right, I, I could do that, yeah. That sounds good. Now. The fate of the world rests in their loins. We don't have the technology to shoot them out of space, but we can telepathically bang them off course and explode. You're asking me to go to a warehouse in the middle of nowhere and have sex with loads of strangers? I'll do it. Mr. President, I'll do it. Well, yeah, I'll definitely do that. The Big Bang. Because I'm not shooting blanks. Coming soon. To a theater near you. There's just one question. What's your kink? We turn into tough titties. We don't. Well, I have um, I have a quote here for you that will set the scene, and it is uh, it's turkey time. Gobble gobble. Is, am, I, am I am I supposed to find out? I'm supposed to answer what film is this from? <laughs> is this Turkey Time? Gobble gobble. Oh, my, is this in relation to to to, to this particular topic? Sex scene. It's, it's a sex. It's foreplay scene. It's J Lo and Ben Affleck in Gili. Oh no! Did you not say that as foreplay? <laughs> gobble gobble. <laughs> I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. <gasps> what did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where each week we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host Kevin, a writer of one and a bit films and three and a bit episodes of TV. And I'm joined once again by my co-host of three films and a Christmas special, Will. Hello Kevin, you are uh, sounding mighty uh, sexy on the line. <laughs> this is the opposite of ASMR. <laughs> I've been so looking forward to this episode. Like I, the whole week, I was just just wondering, what in the hell titillates Kevin Lehan? What could he possibly come up with that would <laughs> something absolutely <laughs> filthy and wrong? <laughs> it's just what sent Kevin Lehan to the confessional box when he was younger? We'll find out tonight. Great. We will. <laughs> but first, I think we should tell people yes. what exactly the show is about and what a format is. Well, lucky you have me on hand because I could pitch that really well. Um, I've got form. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I've got form. Um, basically, what the show is about is that we have a we have a big wheel with uh, nearly three hundred topics from 
uh, action scene to zombie scene. At the end of each episode, we spin the wheel and one of us gets a topic. And the next week we have to come back with our best bit from that particular topic. So I hope you enjoy hearing about what gets Kevin Lehan aroused <laughs> with best sexy. <laughs> well, um, I've spent all week watching people riding and um, I really, really have a lot to say about it. So let's get into it. There's one thing I'm glad you said there. What? I'm glad you said the word people. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, start us off. So, sex scenes. I adapted Neil Gaiman a couple of years back and uh, I did a short story of his called Farm Parts. And that was yeah. um, on an anthology series on Sky called Likely Stories. And that episode starred George McKay and it was about a sexually transmitted yeah. curse. And it was about a man who was scared of sex and addicted to porn. And he picked up this STD that was what he felt was taking over his body. Mm-hmm. So, I have adapted other people's sex scenes but I've never written my own and I was wondering before we get into it have you ever written a sex scene oh man I oh god I won't get into names or specifics but I I had a meeting with a director and we were talking about the story of a script I'd written and um and we were talking about what what things we could do to kind of enhance the story and uh, you know enhancing certain scenes and we'd consumed some alcohol one night and uh, he said... That's you know, how it happens. This is what happens. And he said, you know what? I think this character really, they should be having sex here. And I, and I can remember just getting that sensation of, right, right, okay. And he, he kind of talked me into the idea. And the following day, this, I'm genuinely, this is just a really embarrassing confession... The director said, we should, we need to get this kind of like this rewrite done or this, this, this past done. And um, we need that scene. Uh, you know, do you think you could, do you think you want to do it now? And I was like going, okay. So I literally went upstairs and wrote <laughs> a sex scene while he waited downstairs. And it was wrong. It was all wrong. And where did it take place? Did it take place in like a waterfall in Mullenhassig? Oh, like at the back of a pub. <laughs> It was awful. It was closing awful. time. After Let's just in. say those pages were those pages were you know used for other purposes than making a film. <laughs> How about you, Kevin? Have you ever that was you were saying that was the closest with that anthology? Yeah, no, um, I haven't. I haven't. But um, it was quite fascinating to read about. Um, intimacy coordinators, which are now prevalent on on film sets, and how yeah. sort of. Um, expansive it has become where they can spend months blocking out um a sex scene like it is a stunt scene uh, yeah. and it's sort of just in the last few years since the me too movement that that's become sort of a thing but as i was sort of like reading up about that and and noticing the similarities between sex scenes and stunt scenes i cast my mind back to when i was breaking down chase scenes into mechanical and into uh, practical based on whether it's a foot chase or whether it's a car chase and uh, the sex scene really can be split into two different categories as well. Mm. You've got simulated. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know where I'm going. You've got simulated and you've got unsimulated. So, okay. um, but before I thrust the head here, I think <laughs> the sex scene goes hand in hand with sax, the sax scene. And uh, oh, yeah. I think we need some mood music 
as I sort of get into this. So I'm going to play some really uh, sexy sax music right now. Actually, that might be the wrong music. Let me uh, <laughs> yeah. let me uh, see if I can find something better. <laughs> um, okay, so on simulated sex scenes, then they are uh, they are sort of quite common in foreign films, art house films, mumblecore films. Uh, you know, where they take a sort of um, uh, an unflinching, like observational style on Willie's going in. Uh, so. <laughs> Okay. You have Winterbottom's Nine Songs and you've got Gasparno's Love. Those being two come to mind and that really is as far as I'm willing to go with Unsimulated because, you know, there's a reason why porn stars look the way they do and uh, for me, Unsimulated sex scenes, they sort of look like amateur porn but with like a big budget. Hold on. And I thought I would go the much more tasteful artistic route and go with Simulated. Can you elaborate on what Unsimulated actually... You, you, you referenced... It's where the actors, the actors are really doing it. Oh, that's what it's called. That's the technical term, unsimulated. Of course, it makes so much sense. You mean it's real? I think the technical term is Willie's going in. (laughs) But but I'm not fingering my pick just yet. (laughs) And I want to see if you get lucky and peg it. So (laughs) strap on and let's do it. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Kevin, you should be arrested for this. Really, in cinema, especially in mainstream Hollywood cinema, Western cinema, there is no more censored sequence than the sex scenes. You're really talking about what you can get past the censors. So I've gone right back to the beginning, like I did with the chase scene, where uh, I sort of wanted to start at the beginning with race scenes. Mm. And going right back to the beginning, you've got to sort of acknowledge the Hayes Code and what that was... um, doing and enforcing within American cinema that sort of stymied and stifled the filmmakers that were coming up at the time. So when you're talking about the pre-code era, anything was going back then. And there was sort of a list that was called the Magna Carta, and it was really the do's and don'ts list, or as they call it, the don'ts and be careful list. And those were guidelines that were set up in 1927, and they were started by a Jesuit priest called Father Lord. Father Lord. Like, could you get a, <laughs> an, a more more holy name? Exactly. <laughs> he said uh, he was all about, you know, protecting the children. Won't somebody please think of the children? And his big bone of contention was bone was with um, sound films. He thought that silent smut had been bad, but vocal smut cried to the censors for vengeance. And he thought that kids were so going to be so influenced by hearing sexy stuff that it would sort of warp them. But up until then, kissing could be shown on screen. Mm-hmm. And they had one film in 1896, which has the first kiss shown on screen. And it's sort of, you know, back then, an ankle would turn people on. So to have people kissing on screen was scandalous and it caused outrage and I have watched that vignette for this podcast and I have to agree with them it's filthy (laughs) their teeth are just atrocious so after that they brought in the code and the code was to enforce morality on filmmakers and it it sort of became such a doctrine that even Betty Boop you know the black and white flapper had to wear an apron from then on wow when as soon when when you when you talked about that it 
it um, brought back a memory of me of one of my one of my favorite films. It's a Wonderful Life, and there's a kiss in that, and it's when they're on the phone, and they're they're not actually they're they're kissing while kind of giving out to each other, and it's really it's unnatural the way they're kissing, but it's incredibly intimate and. And kind of beautiful. Um, it's a lovely moment in that scene. He says it's the chance of a lifetime. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. And I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're... And you're... Oh, George, George, George. But it's they 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 shot it that way to get around the Hayes Code where they were only touching lips for a split second, and as a result they have a kind of like this prolonged intimate scene. Mm. I think yeah, was that was pretty fantastic. So the Hayes Code ran right up until 1968, and uh, you know you can see that across all the films that were made of that era. And the critics at the time said it was a Jewish business that was adopting a Catholic morality for Protestant America, mm. and this became. Um, something quite rigid that was enforced right throughout the, the early 20th century, right up until 1969. Up until that point, you know, filmmakers had to use lots of um, metaphor and symbolism and things like lighting a cigarette uh, would be considered quite sort of intimate. But in a weird way, uh, um, isn't w- w- when they had those kind of barriers, the kind of the sexual tension that they generated by having, having characters not kiss actually like exacerbates the, uh, the, 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 the sexual desire really generated in the audience from the scene. You know, this kind of like, oh, they just need to get on. They need to get on. And you never get that release of them actually, you know, getting it on, which is... Um, well, there were some filmmakers that would definitely agree with that. Um, there was a guy called Edward Dimitrik, who um, he was someone who fell foul of the McCarthy witch hunts and ended up being blacklisted. But at the time he was operating during the Hayes Code, he felt that it had a very good effect because it made the filmmakers think. And if they wanted to get something across that was, you know, potentially objectionable, they had to do it quite deviously. And being clever just allowed for the filmmaking to to sort of be quite heightened and playful. Um, but other, you know, directors found it, you know, quite stymieing. Howard Hughes had a, a film called The Outlaw um, that got banned for several years because the poster had Jane Russell's breasts on it. Wow. Uh, but as soon as the Hayes Code was disbanded, you had the very first sex scene in uh, American cinema, 1969's Midnight Cowboy, um, which is quite tame by today's standard. You've got sort of butt cheeks and stuff like that, which are seen, but it's quite clear that what's happening on screen is actual sex and it's not, uh, you know, a guy lighting a cigarette or, you know, trains going into tunnels and stuff like that. <laughs> it's <laughs> The naked gun or something. <laughs> Rockets taken off. <laughs> Cinema was really trying to catch up because this was the swinging 60s, don't forget, the year of free love. So from 69, they had to sort of, you know, cram everything in about the 60s at the very end of the decade. And you had... You know, films like The Hundred Rifles, which was a a Burt uh, Reynolds and Raquel Welch Western, um, which came out just after Midnight Cowboy. And that was scandalous as well at the time because it had the first interracial sex scene and it was between Jim Brown and uh, Raquel Welch. So, you know, this is the time when people were still being lynched in the South. And uh, the year before you had on TV, 1968, you had Star Trek with Captain Kirk, you know, being unable to kiss Uhura. Uh, on the moat because they were interracial. They had to sort of fake it. 
So cinema, once the shackles were off, they were away. And really, when you're mm. talking about the sex scene, you're really talking about from 1970 onwards, right up until the late 90s. That sort of is the era where sex could be shown on screen. Um, up until that, it was a lot of metaphor. Wow. Um, but they brought in, you know, at the end of the Hayes Code, they brought in the MPAA with Jack Valenti. And Jack Valenti mm. was sort of... Um, now the arbiter of morality for American films and for censorship, you know, for violence and stuff like that and uh, objectionable politics and stuff in films. But he was the, the head of the MPA for 38 years and uh, he had a, a, a major effect as well on what could and couldn't be shown. It sort of faded away, you know, it's, sex scenes have become a bit sort of passe and it's really on TV where you're seeing a lot of um, pushing of boundaries. But in terms of film, it, it was really like... Uh, the 70s onwards and one of the most famous sex scenes and one that I would you know when I was thinking about what could be my favourite sex scene this immediately came to mind and it's the 1973 film Don't Look No by Nicholas Rogue and it's got Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie in it and they are having sort of um, a very uh, uh, healing uh, sex scene where they've lost their child they're coming back together and it's sort of this uh, exercising of all this grief and Mm -hmm. it was so um, raw and real seeming that people actually thought that that was an unsimulated sex scene. They thought that they were really doing it, but you know the actors have said many times that no, it was it was just good acting. It was a great. I I love that scene. Uh, it was a you know, yeah. It actually was one of the ones that popped into my head as well. For the reason you said, it doesn't have. It's a male director, but it doesn't have that kind of leeriness or kind of titillation or done. Or, um, it, it you know it's it's ex, it's not exploitative. Um, it really it's in the service of the story in service of the characters and you felt there was this real deep you you have the exact right word that healing of this or grief you know this healing of grief and um, yeah there's it's it's a, it's a good one that's a really good pick but not everyone at the time was a fan of this uh, uh, new era where anything goes and Hitchcock was asked in 1973 what he felt about sort of this free expression post the Hayes Code and he felt that it was quite vulgar and cliche what would you not do in a movie that you were making today they put everything on the screen uh, these x-rated pictures there's nothing left to the imagination insofar as morality is concerned there are very violent pictures made where horrible things are done to the human body what wouldn't you do what turns you off in making well movies? what turns me off are what i call uh, all in wrestling matches in bed you see that all the time you know it's a cliche uh, you know, they shoot past the man's shoulder, leaning over the girl in bed, and you know it's just unnecessary. I think it's um, cheap and vulgar. But you're not against the use of nudity in motion pictures. Not, you use no, it in no, no. I used it in the last picture, but in very sparingly. The picture I made, Frenzy, I had to show nudity a couple of times. But it was very important to the scene to show these couple of cuts anyway. But normally, just showing it, just for the sake of showing it, I think is bad taste and unnecessary. It's mm. interesting for me to see how even he was caught off guard by showing actors in the nude, um, rolling around and, and being quite explicit. But um, a new era had dawned and... 
from the 70s onwards, you really had uh, everyone sort of having a go at it. Even Orson Welles, the guy who's considered a grandfather of cinema. He <laughs> he was in a sex scene? <laughs> he directed a sex scene. <laughs> All right. In 1970, he did a film called The Other Side of the Wind, which it didn't get released. And it, it really, it, it hasn't been released because the footage wasn't complete. But it was quite a haphazard production and it was experimental and um, it was an indie and it was a mock doc. It was self-referential and all that kind of stuff. But he directed a sex scene, which is very uh, sexy. I don't know how else to put it, but it has his girlfriend in it uh, at the time. But that (laughs) sex scene was shot over about two years and it takes place in a car where she basically undresses. (laughs) A sex scene was shot over two years. (laughs) (gasps) That sounds very, um, just throwing out there, what I mean is the sex scene... Uh, he took two years to complete it. He shot the majority of it and he came back and he did inserts two years later in his driveway. Um, but I, I felt I had to mention it because you've got Hitchcock on one side yeah. saying, down with sex. And you've Orson Welles saying, like, free love, put her on screen. Well, I want to see it all. I want to see everything. I want to see it all. But like the thing about Hitchcock, Hitchcock was a dude who is just, he's uh, he has got a very patchy kind of history with dealing with women anyway like particularly his female leads Poor Tippy Hedren wasn't a fan Tippy Hedren what she was put through but uh, yeah he was kind of he was a he was a peculiar individual that way so I think yeah so the the, the sex scenes really just came into the into the popular mainstream with sort of the burgeoning erotic thriller which was a subgenre that sort of hit its stride at the very tail end of the 80s and right through to the 90s there was 300 of them made Wow. And um, that, to put it in context, would be like in the 1940s, the amount of noirs that were made. So at that time, from basic instinct onwards, people were just banging out, just <laughs> banging out. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, erotic thrillers. You know those erotic thrillers? You said, how many of them did you say? How many erotic thrillers? 300. Wow. So my brother rented at least 300 videos from the video <laughs> like See these titles coming home. Passion. For- well, some people made their whole careers from it. You know, you had people like um, Kim Basinger and Demi Moore and Madonna, but really no one straddled the sexy suspense <laughs> film more than the star of Basic Instinct. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Michael Douglas. Oh, man. You thought I was going to say Sharon Stone. I was Stone. thought you were going to say Sharon Stone. <laughs> um, Douglas did Fatal Attraction, uh, where he got to write Glenn Close. <laughs> He did Basic Instinct, where Sharon Stone took him for a ride, and he did Disclosure, where the plot took the whole audience for a ride. <laughs> I got into the see Disclosure in the cinema when I was about 15. Was did you enjoy it? Well, you're about five minutes of it. That's the thing, though, about sex scenes. They are sort of like the linchpin of that whole genre, but they only take up maybe two or three minutes in a whole runtime of a film. So, you know, you go to an action film and you're expecting there's going to be wall-to-wall action. It's going to hit the ground running and and it's going to be thrilling and exciting. A horror film, you're expecting to be scared from the moment the film starts to the end. And with the erotic thrillers, you're really just watching two or three minutes of of tastefully shot, gyrating, until Jack Valenti says, that's enough of that. (laughs) You know, I I asked my wife, I said this was the topic that Kevin was coming up with and I said, said, God, I don't know what I would pick, but... And, but before I even had the question out of my, my, my mouth, she said, Dirty Dancing. And I went, oh. oh. I was like, oh yeah, Dirty Dancing. That's a good one. Yeah, she she was saying, like, and I, you're making a good point there. But the flirtation up to the sex scene is kind of like the anticipation. You're like going, well, I know there's a sex scene coming. But like, but if you can build the kind of like the sexual tension 
uh, that's 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 tension. That's drama in its in its own way. Yeah. But in the case of disclosure, I think they like their sex scene happened in the first ten minutes of the film. It wasn't one of the 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 most well regarded of those films. Mm. So. You had Basic Instinct, which essentially kicked off this whole craze where everyone was trying to make their erotic thriller because Basic Instinct was a gigantic hit around the world. Really? And it made a superstar out of Sharon Stone, but it also made a superstar out of its screenwriter, Joe Esterhaz. So Joe Esterhaz was a former Rolling Stone journalist who was a screenwriter who sort of got his big break writing Flashdance, which, you know, had that scene with Jennifer Beals you know, pulling the uh, bucket of cold water that falls down on top of her while she's on stage. Uh, but as soon as he did um, Basic Instinct, he followed up with Sliver, with Sharon Stone again, and Jade, and Showgirls. Oh, and wasn't he, <laughs> he was like the poster boy of big screenwriter deals back in the 90s. He was. He made over 26 million writing those kind of films. He was making about four million a script. So in the 90s, he was one of the most successful screenwriters around. And it was purely for his success within the erotic thriller genre. So he benefited more f- from that whole craze than anyone else, really. Wow. Uh, so when it comes to sex scenes, you really are talking about the 90s, but that erotic thriller era of those 300 films. And you're really talking about Joe has. And I thought, seeing as I've not written... Uh, a sex scene, and you haven't really gotten one on the screen, that I was going to refer back to Joe has himself. And I have the opening scene here from his 1990 draft of Basic Instinct. And what I was going to do is read out a section of it okay. to see how, how the master does it. Should I throw, turn on the lights? Turn on the lights. Light the scented candle. Throwing a little silk scarf over the lamp behind me. And I'm in the mood. So here we go. Yeah. The opening scene of Basic Instinct, and it goes, It is dark, we don't see clearly, but a man and a woman make love on a brass bed. There are mirrors on the walls and ceiling. On a side table, atop a small mirror, lines of cocaine. A tape deck plays the stones, sympathy for the devil. Atop him, she straddles his chest, her breasts in his face. We don't see the face of the woman. She has long blonde hair though. The camera stays behind and to the side of him. She leans close over his face, her tongue in his mouth. She kisses him. She moves her hands up and down, holds both of his arms above his head. She moves higher atop him. She reaches to the side of the bed. A white silk scarf is in her hand, her hips above his face now, moving, gyrating. His face strains towards her. The scarf in her hand she ties his hands with it gently to the brass bed. The song continues. His eyes are closed now, tighter. He is inside her. His head arches back. She arches her back. Back, back. Her head tilts back. She extends her arms. A flash of steel. He bucks, rides, bucks, convulses. It flashes up, down, up. Down, up, down, and scene. <laughs> oh my God, Kevin! Oh my God, you took me someplace else. You know, all sex scenes should be read in your particular accent, Kevin. <laughs> I felt when you were reading that he he was writing that like you'd write an action scene, and I think you're so right. Like there's where she penetrates him. Oh, she she penetrates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
symbolism. Yeah. <laughs> so Esterhaz, Paul Verhoeven, they returned again at the end of the late 90s with Showgirls. And that really is the point where the erotic thriller sort of ended. After that, um, they sort of ran their course. And unfortunately for the stars of that, uh, you know, Elizabeth Berkley got maligned quite heavily mm-hmm. uh, and unfairly I think for her performance in that film um, but it had a, a real knock on effect on her career and it also stopped Joe Estahaz's career he didn't get another film produced yeah. after that for about a decade um, what year did that come out? 97 so I you know you can kind of have a you can draw a clear line between the death of the erotic thriller and the kind of like the rise of the internet exactly and, you know prevalence of porn on the internet and there was there was no market for it anymore the genre itself had started to get really smutty in that softcore direct-to-video knockoffs were flooding the late night channels but you also had as you just quite rightly called out you had the rise of the internet so the sex scene became sort of naff because you know at that stage anything goes on the internet and they really fell out of um out of fashion Mm. you had for the whole of the 90s, this huge genre. And then it just suddenly stopped with showgirls and with the rise of the internet. And ever since then, mm. films have felt quite sexless. And uh, it's sort of moved over mm. into TV, where TV is it's, it's pushing boundaries there, but the film side, um, you don't really see sex scenes anymore. But um, getting back to basically what would be my favourite sex scene, I was trying to think about this, and um, there were a few that I... I feel like I have to give a shout out to. And um, one of them is Wet Hot American Summer. And it's one of the few same sex scenes. Uh, There aren't that many that are represented in that era of the erotic thriller because, you know, equality wasn't as it was. But you've got Wet Hot American Summer, which has got this hilarious sex scene between Bradley Cooper and Michael Ian Black, where the guys in the camp are trying to set up Bradley Cooper with one of the girls in the camp. And meanwhile, they're cross-cutting to him in in the shed just getting raw dogged by Michael Ian Black and <laughs> it's hilarious I don't remember that I don't remember that you got to watch it it's hilarious I have to watch it again you've also got Sausage Party which is um, an animated film it looks like a Pixar film it's got Seth Rogen and Kristen oh. Wiig and basically there's an orgy that happens in the uh, supermarket with all the condiments and the food and uh, yeah they really they really get into the whole symbolism of sliding hot dogs oh. into buns and stuff <laughs> That was one of those films when it came out, uh, you know, where a lot of families accidentally went into that thinking it was a family-friendly animated film. Oh, no. Quickly realizing it is not. It is definitely not. But, yeah. you know, I was thinking and I was going like there's Out of Sight, which has got this ethereal, like um, quite dreamlike uh, sex scene between Jennifer Lopez and uh, George Clooney. You've got Body Heat, yeah. you've got The Tall Guy, got Don't Look Now, as we said. But when I was trying to think about, you know, my favourite sex scenes, I couldn't really land on one. And I thought what I would do instead is I would pitch you the ultimate sex scene. Oh, yeah. I'm so ready for this, Kevin. Yeah. There's been (laughs) enough foreplay. Let's get to it. So this would be my best bit. Right. If you said to me, we need a sex scene. It's got to be integral to the story. It's got to be tasteful. This can't be sort of just, you know, a bit of smut. Yeah, and I thought, based on everything that I was uh, reading and watching and rewatching, yeah. that this wouldn't be a scene where our heroes are having sex for the first time. Yeah. This would be potentially their last time, and they have to do it as fast <laughs> as they can. 
And this isn't a sex scene between two people, because that's been done. <laughs> and it's not a threesome either. That's also been done. It's not a foursome. It's not even an orgy or a gangbang. This is a hundred people deep shagathon, where everyone is riding like it's an Olympic team sport event. It's not a tender scene at all. It's frantic. It's thrilling. It's a desperate, debauched bacchanal. Because, and this is where things get thorny and, you know, horny, this shagathon is to save the whole world. Because... Aliens have been coming to Earth and abducting people and they've been probing them for decades. And they think that they have it all figured out. They know what people are like. And when they have that in their heads, they decide now is the time to invade Earth. But they've only been abducting people one at a time and they've never considered sex. And these people that they've probed, they have a psychic connection to. So when the aliens are coming into Earth's orbit and it's like Independence Day, NASA, they round up these people and say, you were right, it did actually happen. The aliens are real and you guys have a psychic connection. And so now the tables are turned because what was traumatic for these people now becomes the, the magic bullet. And they can't shoot the aliens out of the sky, but they can bang them out of existence. So what they do, NASA rounds up everybody, puts them into a warehouse and the Pope and the President and the UN and everybody, they say that the faith of humanity rests on how fast you guys can come. So they all get together with the sexiest sex workers who are like heroes and are horny. Our horny heroes have to bang and bang and bang as fast as they can. And people are watching this in Times Square on the big screen TVs and the aliens are coming in and it's like, it's crazed. I thought that would be the oh, ultimate sex scene. Oh, Kevin. Oh, my God. You absolutely delightful, crazy bastard. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It'd be called The Birds and the Bees and the Aliens as well. That would be the title of it. I love it. Oh, man, that's brilliant. That's absolutely but listen, fantastic. Listen, seeing as I cannot post a clip from that, I'm going to have to go with my second pick. And I mentioned that there's simulated and there's unsimulated. And I mentioned censorship. And really, when you're talking about simulated and censorship, you really can't get past Team America's Promise Me You'll Never Die. Yes. Oh, that's great. I really like you. There's no chance we can ever be together. Only if you could promise me you'll never die. You know I can't promise that. If you did that... I would make love to you right now. I promise I will never die. It came to me, you know, this pick when I was thinking about censorship and the MPA. And the MPA recently have changed their name from uh, the Motion Picture Association of America to just the MPA. Yeah. Because as they see it, it better reflects worldwide advocacy for content producers and distributors around the world. So they really see themselves as the world police. And then it clicked for me. It became a scene where censorship and sex and world police, and it has to be that incredible scene from Team America, where they went above and beyond what you could show, where they had uh, the puppets pissing on each other and shitting on each other in order 
to outrage the MPA so much that they would demand at least cut that stuff out, which they yeah. were never intending to include, and they do cut it out. But you can see that scene on the internet, on YouTube, and it is magnificent. No, the whole, the original cut of that the scene? The original cut is on there, oh, and it wow. is filthy and hilarious. <laughs> And I remember, I actually only recently listened to a documentary about this. And they intentionally, as you just rightly said, they intentionally made like a three minute version of it, knowing that they were going to cut it. But he said there was loads of violence in that film. But the MPA like didn't ask for a single cut in any of the murdering explosions, mass deaths anywhere. They just wanted that scene cut down and they got it down to 90 seconds. I have to see that uncut scene. Brilliant. It was a difficult film for those guys. It's directed by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, who, you know, are famous for South Park. Um, But it's the last film they ever made. They had such a grueling experience on that, where it was originally something where they felt, we can do this without actors. And it became, as uh, Trey Parker says, the most horrendous time of his life, where they were working 20 hours a day, uh, living off coffee and sleeping pills in order to get the film out and released. And they just about made it. But that's my scene. Uh, Team America War Police, promise me you'll never die. Well, Kevin, you know, I'm I I, I really feel like a new um what's the word? <laughs> I I, I I feel light of foot and uh, everything's quite good right now. And I'm oh, I've just lit myself my, my seventh <laughs> cigarette. Was it good for you? I really, really <laughs> enjoyed that. So now we've got that out of the yeah. way. I have to now spin the wheel oh my God. and get what your scene is going to be for next week. Now, good luck, Will. It's spinning. Oh, I'm really dreading this. <laughs> Oh, do you know what you're after getting? What is it? And we've never mentioned this before. What? You're after getting the veto. <gasps> what does that so mean? So basically, no, you can hold on to the veto for the rest of this season. Okay. And if anything comes up where you don't like it, you can use your veto. But that removes it from the wheel entirely. So I don't get to do it if you don't want to do it. So. Oh. <laughs> so does that mean you have to spin again? I have to spin again. You've got a veto. You can bank it. Oh. Or you can use okay. it immediately on this next one. So let's spin okay. again. Oh my god, this is brilliant. I feel like I've just like, won a winning streak or something. <laughs> so you're rolling again now? I'm rolling again, and it's Amazing. slowly coming to best tearjerker scene. Okay. Okay. I've got ideas. I'm I'm already some things like okay, one came to my actually two have come to my mind already. No, I'm on five. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Next week. Best tearjerkersy. Tearjerkersy. So we're going from one bodily fluid to another <laughs> bodily fluid. Get your tissues ready again. <laughs> All right. Where can people find you, Will? Oh man, people can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm under Willem's Film, which is W I L L U M S F I L L U M. Kevin, where can people find you? Unfortunately, they can also find me on Twitter under at uh, Kevin Lee Han. Um, and you've got a Twitter at Best Bits Pod, and you can find border handles under there. But we'll be tweeting the actual wheel from this. So we're going to screen record the wheel, and we're going to put it up there, and you can actually yeah. see it spinning, and it'll be magical. But, um, so we can't fake this. We can't fake it, no. So, oh, God. But you got a veto, so you know. 
No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the two tracker. I'm, I'm there. I'm with it. Cool. I can't I wait. It. All right then. I can't wait. Next week. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wipe myself down, Kevin. Thanks for that. <laughs> Bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show, the full episode plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. Many bits. Another new episode. Of this Patreon podcast. Exclusive. The best bits podcast with Will and Kevin, how are you? Hi, honey. How are you? Oh, you know, I've got this. I've got my corn sorted out. I went to the Chiraptus the other day and uh, she Your said... corn? Uh, my corns. Did you, ever get, did you ever get corns? No. Did you know what a corn is? Yeah, it's a bunion on your foot, isn't it? Yeah, like in between your toes and stuff like that. Do, um, you, do you not wear any shoes like around the house? You walk No, I, I, I wear... No, it's the opposite. GA shorts. It's the opposite. I wear incredibly tight shoes. Like those Chinese women oh. who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound, like, you know, before the turn of this yeah. last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a Mini Bits episode where we get people disgusted. Squally, it's episode 73 of the Mini Bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, you're Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode and then every so often it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode and yeah. I'm like what did we how did we say it what did we say on that episode it's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes maybe it didn't sound as desperate maybe we said don't join maybe reverse psychology that's how we should do it reverse psychology don't join up to our patron don't it's <laughs> Cancel. You don't des- everybody cancel. You don't deserve to be in this group. We don't want you. We don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We don't we don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. It's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people we we did I don't know, maybe we shouldn't say it on mic, especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh how do you think yeah. I how do you think I did? I, I I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once. So I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across. But, you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with, did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, months yeah. before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure. They were, they were profiled in the Gar- Guardian as well. Yeah, but we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. we don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is going to be mad. So, um, 
listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're you're you're, you're an OG. Bust. You're an OG <laughs> listener before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But, uh, yeah. I just want to die. Those I, are my Prince Albert. <laughs> Your hat? <laughs> yeah. I Speaking want of, of the, which. I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh, uh, yeah. Bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glints. Yeah. Like starlight twinkle. <laughs> Speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, what, we, what, did, what did you want to speak of? Which? Start the timer. Oh, I forgot. You may you as well. Start the timer. They, all, all these lucky losers are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after Yeah, we, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to watching thing. that. Okay. Okay. I'll save my thoughts. And right. um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure. You it doesn't did. really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh, takes your fancy. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So um, I'm Well, the Joker 2 trailer came out today. I saw it. Yes. I watched that. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah, it's kind of like you see it's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, like, hey, listen. Uh, I actually, what it, what it did remind me of <laughs> was that I want to watch, rewatch The Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was a kind of a bold new direction. Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show. The Joker episodes. Oh yeah, that's going to be just to fill me in, like on the lore, get up to speed, get you right up to speed. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll be there going, where, where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks? Where, when are they going to show up? And like, you know, weird time though, where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of Joker, which isn't. Its own universe entirely, mm. and then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right, and, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP, but like it's this, just everywhere. What well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world, has very much entered the the film world. It's where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors, and there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff. Oh, oh, it's this is the insane. thing. Kevin, so I'm only catching up on this. You mentioned it to me on a on a pod, on a podcast. Was it on one of those? Uh, it was the last. Show? It was the last mini bits. Yeah, uh, you, you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently. And have you started noticing it though? Only, only, only with people trying to rise you. That's the only type, only where place where I've noticed people. No, people are sort of trying to every, rise you. Oh my god! Oh my god! I could start posting now, like um, tweets, comments, TikToks. Uh, articles, anything. Insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. I was okay. like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's it's everywhere. And the other thing, do you know the other thing that's also bothering me lately? Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Oh, it's defiantly whatever. 
They were just, they were morons. But no, I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word, A-L-O-T, a lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word? It's the same way that people will write every time as one word. What's the one that you've, you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right? Compliment. Compliment. I can't, <laughs> but I can't get it right. It's like the you I. because I told you the other day. Yeah, and I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you oh, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that to you. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I would found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment, I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it and I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the I is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you it's a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. <laughs> Come here, let's start talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. You know, I have to put in the sound effect. I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start the timer, like, I have a whole it's... fucking. I have a whole soundboard. Here. Okay. Jesus Christ! Where's my fucking? What? Where's my ding dang ding? Here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Right. 